0: Hello and welcome to the Club and Country podcast. We are the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. And I dare say, just like Nashville SC, I think we might just be undefeated this year, although there have been some close calls. I'm Nashville SC radio analyst Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor, owner, operator, editor, writer of clubcountryusa.com the Renaissance man himself. Moon Taxi is the music that you hear, as always, behind us. Local bands, local voices, covering, of course, the local soccer team and for that team international break is coming to a close and once again finally we have a match to preview but Tim I think it would be accurate to say things have not exactly gone slowly in the two plus weeks since the boys in gold last played. yeah we talked about the Americans
1: Nations League win last week and the USMNT since closed off the break with a resounding win over Randall Costa Rica but uh, there's some MLS action this week even and now
0: Uh, Upcoming, it's back to MLS in Fast and Furious fashion. In today's episode, we're resetting what's happened so far this season, taking a chance to give you a bit of an interim report, and then we're going to muster our forces for what's to come. Three matches in nine days starting Friday night against New York Red Bulls and the advent of the summer of soccer after that. Five straight home matches between June 23rd and July 17th, but that trip to New Jersey is looming first to take on New York Red Bulls at a stadium where Nashville SC incidentally has played twice but never, Tim, against Red Bulls.
1: Yeah, it's about time when you, when you visit somebody's house a few times that you actually run into the owner, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was Red Bulls 2 in year one of USL play. Last year, it was Montreal, a 1-0 win over the artists formerly known as Impact. In our early shout today, we will look back through some interesting news that emerged after our discussion on the podcast about Randall Leal. Just seven days ago, interesting conversation that developed and and might have even developed into some transfer rumors. There have been some around Nashville SC. We'll get into those a little bit and break down what they could mean for the boys in gold. Our gold nuggets will compare Nashville SC's first seven matches this year to last year. As you might imagine, there are some stark contrasts between the two, and we'll visit those. And then Tim sits down with Mark Fishkin. He's covered Red Bulls longer than anyone, just like Tim has covered Nashville SC longer than anyone. It was a meeting of the minds and really, Tim, a productive conversation that I think people are going to get a lot out of.
1: Yeah, it's tough to find somebody who knows more about this team than does Mark. And we had a really good time talking about some things that are probably a little bit
0: deeper than just this Friday's game, but absolutely will get you prepared for that contest. And then there's a question that I think some of these transfer rumors are are raising, and that's where we're going to go for our Embrace Consensus quote-unquote, debate segment. Does Nashville SC need to add talent up top to achieve its objectives this season? Certainly, spending several million dollars on a high-priced new DP would help things, but is it essential? We'll talk about that, get into the mailbag, where many of you have questions about these potential transfers coming in. And then, outside in, of course, many boys in not gold are on their international breaks. We'll talk a little bit of Euros. We know you can get the meat of that stuff Euro talk that is uh, elsewhere, but we want to talk just a little from our own voices and perspectives here locally about that uh, because obviously there are so many, so many storylines to talk about. But without further discussion, let's start with our early shout. Last week, we had a a deep roster breakdown. We talked about Nashville SC's DPs, the salary versus performance paradigm. Tim, it was a great discussion that unearthed some interesting news from the club. We had talked about Leal, of course, as Nashville's DP. Turns out, He's no longer a designated player for this team. Explain how that would have come about and what that could mean for this club. Yeah,
1: we talked a little bit last week about how he was kind of in a range where it was a little surprising that he was considered a DP on a significantly lower budget hit on salary alone than the DP threshold. But with amortized transfer fee, there was a chance that Um, there was a likelihood I guess that that that, um, transfer fee was just high enough that it was going to make him hit those thresholds and therefore make him a designated player. At this point the club has used some of its allocation money to make it so that Leal's budget hit is no longer above that DP threshold. He is now a player whose budget fits under the salary cap without needing to be a designated player. Those three players whose full salaries do not count against the salary cap. So with that It means that Nashville is down to just a couple of designated players right now. That's Hani Mukhtar and Jandarkadis,
0: which means three DP slots and two DPs. That means there's room for one more inside the boat. There's room, and there have been rumors since that news came out about who could be filling that spot. Do you like the play on words there?
1: Yeah, we are we are corny dad FC sometimes on here
0: CDFC. That is uh, <laughs> that's our brand for sure. Uh, two players have been linked with Nashville SC. One of them, the day actually our podcast came out, the day that information about Leal no longer being a DP came out. Later that day, there was a report from Tom Bogert, of MLS Soccer, about Michael Estrada potentially being linked to the boys in goal. Talk about Estrada and and you know, first of all, just basic bio, but also what he could potentially bring to Nashville SC.
1: Yeah, I talked uh, with with Davey the fellas over at the Nashville Soccer Show about him a little bit last week, and um, he's a guy who fits the sort of physical profile that you'd expect from from kind of a Gary Smith striker. He has a lot of the best characteristics of Jandercati's mixed with a lot of the best characteristics of C.J. Sapong. He's got his size. Maybe not quite his speed, but the activity and the strength of a guy like CJ Sapong to always be active inside the box, combining that with maybe slightly better finishing ability like Caddis has, maybe slightly better overall athletic ability like Caddis has in comparison to Sapong. That's the type of player that, that when you blend the best of the, both worlds of two of the better strikers on the team, it's, it's a pretty good player right there. But as the transfer rumor mill turns, there are other clubs in the mix for the for the man who plays at Liga MX's Toluca, um, Boca Juniors in Argentina is one of the powers of this hemisphere. They're a club that's going to be in the mix. They don't necessarily have the financial heft of an MLS club, but mm. I think as we discussed with some of the layall discussion we had last week, Nashville's also not going to break the bank for a designated player right now unless they feel like it's a guy that they not only will get their money's worth, but they need to spend that amount of money
0: to have the level of success that they want. Estrada did get the start in Ecuador's opening match of Copa America Sunday against Colombia. and So if, if you want to watch him and see what he's all about during this discussion time, check out Copa America. He should receive ample starting time as he is their talisman. Ake Loba, the other name, Tim, that's been discussed, and it's a name that Nashville SC fans have heard before if they followed these rumors.
1: Yeah, Nashville was linked with Loba early last season. It was clear from a kind of rudimentary check with sources that the boys in gold were in the hunt, but it was really more of kind of a token presence in that hunt. It was more Ake Loba and Ake Loba's agent versus Monterey than it was Nashville SC versus Monterey. It was kind of a way to make sure they got best deal from Rayados, and they, they got a pretty good deal from Rayados. It worked out for them to kind of play Nashville's offer off of Monterey however he didn't see a ton of the field for Ryados this year I think under a quarter of their minutes so if he's a guy who sees that and says you know what I, I've got my money now essentially it's time to find a place that uh, maybe a better playing situation is worth a little bit less money nashville is
0: probably a better choice than monterey whatever happens it is compelling to see that nashville sc with a, a team that's played pretty well attacked more brightly this year than last is not content to sit back and appreciate that growth but wants to accelerate that growth if they can find the right fit at the right price what do you think the likelihood is that one of these guys gets brought in
1: yeah, I think it might not necessarily be one of these two guys. I think they're they're the two most likely right now. As I mentioned, the, the transfer rumor mill spins and spins and spins at this stage of the year, especially um, you know, when you look at guys who have interest from European clubs, which are not playing right now. They're in their offseason in a way that MLS clubs are looking at their midseason transfer window, and it's kind of got a slightly different character to those two types of transfer window. But if you look at either of them, Um, They fit a lot of the characteristics that Mike Jacobs really likes. Estrada a South American Spanish speaker, Ake Loba. He's Ivorian, so the West African guy is, is a guy who's going to be a good fit with this locker room, other guys who kind of have shared life experiences with him. Uh, he, I believe he might have to learn a little bit better English, which is something that, honestly, Mike Jacobs looks into. He wants guys that can communicate clearly and effectively, which is why you see a lot of uh, English speakers and Spanish speakers and not a ton of guys whose first language is something else on this team. It's something that's important to them. So um, when you look at the characteristics that Estrada and Loba have – They fit, they fit the NFC DNA, as Mike would tell you. So um, certainly if if one of them were to sign up, I think it would be not only because they are good on-field fits, but because they fit in various ways off the field as well. and, And they really not only help the team excel, but help the team kind of be more cohesive and and fit together as as
0: a unit. If you want to keep up with this situation, we mentioned where you can watch Estrada in the meantime, but follow clubcountryusa.com. and Tim will keep you up to date on the status of of these potentially developing situations. And of course, come here each week for the analysis. We'll we'll talk about the implications for Nashville SC. And we'll talk later today about what each of these guys could bring to the club tactically. We've touched on that a bit, but go deeper because that was (laughs) pretty much the main thing you guys wanted to know about in the mailbag. Let's get to some gold nuggets here in our early shout, something we do every week to drill a little bit deeper into Nashville FC's uh, results and performance from a statistical perspective. And because we have seven matches to evaluate, we've had a couple weeks to, to chew on them, I thought we'd compare the first seven matches of this year with last year. Some of these are going to be pretty apparent, right? Points. Nashville undefeated, seventh place, to. 0 and 5 last year after seven matches they were in 12th of course a little bit distorted because it was really a different nashville sc team in a lot of ways that lost the first two games of the season massive COVID break and they were just really starting to find themselves especially in the attack they were two four and one at this point just seven points last season and the issue of course was goals. Nashville scored nine of them this year. It's 11th in Major League Soccer. It's pretty good. It's really good, though, when you compare it to last year. They had just scored four times in those first seven matches last year, and it's a product, of course, of more chances. This year, they've taken 46 shots on target. And at this point, Tim, last year, they'd taken just 29. Yeah, we've,
1: or at least I've, been pretty consistent that the results should come if the process continues. And and that's the reason why. You see the XG numbers. You see the shot numbers. Uh, we don't need to rehash too much of that, but the fact that some guys are, are below last year's conversion rates or even their historic rates to uh, in comparison to XG, it probably means that the, the, the groundwork is there. Now, that doesn't guarantee that the finishing will all of a sudden be where it was historically or where it was last year, but certainly you see that the pieces are in place, that um, not only is this club already performing better than it did through seven games last year, but the the level of performance
0: even has some more upside in comparison. And a total paradigm shift in expected goals. Nashville SC was 5th to last in expected goals last year. 7.3 at this point. And again, they'd only scored four times off those 7.3. This year, 12.5 expected goals. That's 5th from top of MLS. So just a complete bottom-to-top reversal almost for this team and nearly double the, uh, the scoring opportunities at this point. Defensively, things even better this year than they were last. Six goals allowed on only 15 shots on target. Somehow, Tim, as as good as they were defensively, even early last year, they allowed eight goals and almost double the shots on target.
1: Yeah, and a couple of slip-ups have really, I think, colored the way people are looking at the success so far this year because they had a couple of slip-ups very early against Cincinnati that kind of set a tone that was like, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going to be what we saw last year. It mostly has been what we saw last year, (laughs) but those, those two early goals really do... Um, kind of color it a little bit. And I think if you see more of the subsequent six games than you do of that first game, even the Montreal game and, and the Atlanta game when the team gave up two goals a pop, it, it felt worse than it probably was. And that might be because of that Cincinnati game setting the tone. So we'll see if if you don't get kind of those couple of fluky goals here and there, it looks a lot better. But Everybody gives up a fluky
0: goal here and there, too, so you can't exactly write it off. Preventing those those chances from even really happening. 15 shots on target. They allowed 14 in just two combined matches last year, FC Dallas and Inter-Miami, and both of those were good results. So, so Tim, broad conclusion. This team, comparable defensively, better offensively. Is there any other contrast that you'd like to point out, that you'd like to draw between last year and this? Because the personnel's been largely... The same. Every player who started that, that Game 7 Miami match last year is still on Nashville's roster. Nine of them have started a match this season. And yet, of course, uh, the attack just much more cohesive and has really accelerated.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily contrasts to last year. But I think if you remember the, the kind of narrative, the way the season played out last year, the club was much better over, over the final uh, 17 games than they were over those first seven. And so if they have a similar upward trajectory a team that's starting off from a much better position can be much better in the final
0: table than they were a year ago as well. Next up, New York Red Bulls. Nashville goes up to Red Bull Arena. New York Red Bulls in ninth place right now. Three wins, no ties, and four losses. But those four losses have come against elite competition as they've played one of the toughest schedules in Major League Soccer so far. And when they've played lesser competition, they've won. They beat Toronto, they beat Chicago, and they knocked off Orlando, So they played third place Orlando right before the break. Got a 2-1 win that shows signs of quality, Tim, that this this will be a challenging road match for the boys in goal.
1: Yeah, and Red Bull Arena is a pretty tough place to play. Uh, To use a Gary Smithism, the Red Bulls play their home field well. Um, (laughs) And they do do that because they have a a unique style within the league, not because it's particularly suited to Red Bull Arena, but because they feel more confident in Red Bull Arena playing the style that they do play, which is to press and press and press and press. And if you're a team like Nashville that might not be the most technically gifted team in the league, um, there, are, there are reasons that you can say, oh, man, this is a scary game. But a team that's also um, you know, one of the um, maybe more willing to play a classical style, we can say, of Nashville might not also fall into some of the traps that the Red Bulls want to try to spring on them either. So there's kind of a push and pull tactically
0: of, of which side of the, of the chess match is going to win out. To get deeper into this conversation, we connected with Mark Fishkin. He's been covering Red Bulls forever and uh, been the head of the Seeing Red podcast since 2010, as we want to bring you not just perspectives from elsewhere, but the richest perspectives from elsewhere that we possibly can. Uh, Tim had a great discussion with Mark. Let's listen to that now.
1: We are very happy this week to welcome an OG96er and since 2010, the host of the Seeing Red podcast Uh, to tell us everything that we need to know about the new york red bulls mark fishkin mark how you doing i'm
2: great i'm so excited to be talking to nashville tennessee for the first time never in a million years if you asked me in 1996 would nashville tennessee be representing an mls and it's so exciting to see what's going on down there and uh and thanks for the invite i'm happy to be here
1: yeah i think if you asked us in 2014 we might have said no 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 chance that someone (laughs) from nashville is talking about mls but how funny and quickly the world changes. So well, let's get right into it. Um, obviously, this is a rivalry uh, potentially in the future, but it is not a game that either team is, is very familiar with. What are the Red Bulls' expectations of, of playing against a franchise in Nashville that is obviously very new to them?
2: I'll tell you that there there are really two factors that New York is looking for coming into this game. The first is they're playing at home. The Red Bulls have the best home record in MLS since Red Bull Arena opened, Mm -hmm. better than Seattle, better than, uh, really better than anybody. And so for them, every time they take the field at Red Bull Arena, they're expecting three points. The other thing is that New York plays a very distinctive style, which I'm sure Mm -hmm. even though your your listeners may not um, really be following the Red Bulls, they press to the wall. They press to the end line. They press and, and counter-press throughout the entire match. And so what that means is their game plan is get the ball into the attacking third as quickly as possible. Whether a Red Bull is on the end of a pass or not, it almost doesn't matter because immediately... New York will send two and sometimes three players at whoever has the ball from Nashville, get the ball in the attacking third. Obviously, you recover the ball that close to your opponent's goal. You have a really good shot of generating a scoring opportunity and then pounce on it. They score a lot of balls off of set pieces. They score a lot of balls off of restarts. And they generate scoring opportunities off of the press. And so that's what New York does. And so, yes, while we certainly understand and we know what Gary Smith can do being in New York, um, we remember the 2010 MLS (laughs) Cup where former Red Bull Matt Kanji scored the MLS Cup winning goal for Gary Smith in overtime while breaking his leg. One in a series of a very long list of players that have won MLS Cup after leaving New York, much to our chagrin. We're 26 seasons in; we have yet to actually lift that trophy. Um, and so we know that uh, that Nashville is a very defensive-minded team. We know they haven't; they don't give up goals very often. Uh, we know if they struggle anywhere, it's on the offensive end of the, of, of, uh, mm-hmm. of the field. And so if if Nashville is comfortable, kind of playing in a low block, it'll really be up to New York to figure out how to break it down.
1: Yeah, that's a, a pretty interesting, I guess, tactical chess match a little bit. How do the Red Bulls feel about a team that probably isn't going to be too scared to just boot it long and, and you know, hope, th- I guess, are both teams going to kind of be in that situation where they're like, yeah, we'll let the other guys possess. Is that something that Red Bull is, is going to want to have happen inside Red Bull Arena?
2: yeah it's not something that we haven't seen because obviously opponents know coming into new york Mm -hmm. that that's the way to beat the press if you are an opponent is to make long diagonal passes to the opposing corner and attempt to create an odd man scoring opportunity and so we've seen that from time to time over the years where the high press has really been instituted and that that really started in 2015 when jesse marsh came in Mm-hmm. Um, replacing very popular Mike Petke, and in four years became Marsh. That is the winningest coach in club history. Yeah. Won a shields almost won another one before he jumped uh, to Salzburg. We we've seen for years challenges in terms of death by a thousand crosses, trying to find the right head playing against eight men in the box to generate yeah. a, a decent chance. They're they're not always good at it. It's a great <laughs> way for teams to come in and steal a point against New York. Um, but it's not something that we're not accustomed to seeing.
1: Now, obviously, you mentioned Jesse Marsh there. There's been a couple of coaching transitions since then. Obviously, Chris Armas um, left this offseason, or I guess during last season. During and, last season. Um, Gerhard Schuber comes in. Have they all kind of followed in? I, I, obviously, a, a lot of people are very familiar that Jesse Marsh was kind of the Red Bull style when he was in New York. Is that um, – have they followed kind of along with what the – broader organization wants? Are there certain little tweaks that they each do? I mean, I'll tell you that part of the
2: reason why Chris Armis is no longer Mm -hmm. at New York was that he was so intent on trying to do something different. Mm -hmm. Um, The search for a plan B, as we've called it in New York for many years, really contributed to Armis's downfall because they, in many ways, strayed away from that kind of press you into submission uh, playing style, and he wasn't able to find success doing anything else. So out goes Armas, in comes Gerhard Struber, who is very familiar to the Red Bull way. He's a former Salzburg player. He coached uh, the Red Bull's youth team in Salzburg. Mm-hmm. He coached Lifering, which is the Red Bull's reserve team before going um, to, to England. And he has talked about, as he says in his lovely Australian uh, accent, we play with an identity, and <laughs> the identity is the return to the Red Bull way. At the same time, and certainly Dax McCarty knows about it, and most certainly Alex <laughs> Mowiel knows about it, is New York has gone young, young, young. Mm-hmm. They brought in 12 players in last offseason, mm-hmm. including the latest signing uh, Patrick Klimala, the, the Polish striker, um, none of the new players are older than 23 years old. Okay. And so then you take uh, a a veteran like Aaron Long off the field, mm-hmm. all of 28 years old, and you've got a very, very young energetic team that is the perfect type of team to run an opponent into the ground. And when you consider the five subs that we have now, it's it's youth and youth and youth mm-hmm. and Danny Royer, but mostly <laughs> youth. Um, and that is, that is the core of what New York is all about right now.
1: Yeah. You mentioned Aaron Long um, suffering the injury. Who has Red Bull used to, to fill in for him? Or has it been maybe a bit more of a platoon without one of the team's best players available? Right. Well, you know, the four uh,
2: center backs on the team, um, Long, uh Amro Tarek uh, the Egyptian International mm-hmm. uh, one time Egyptian International Sean Nealis, and uh Andres Reyes The 23-year-old Columban Youth International, who very famously at New England a couple of weeks ago picked up two yellows and scored a goal in about a half an hour. So um, in the last game, uh, MLS game that New York played, which was a 2-1 home win against Orlando, it was new signing Englishman Tom Edwards, who traditionally plays right back, but slotted over and played center back next to Sean Nealis, And that, that seemed to work. Now, mind you... At the time, when New York played Orlando, they were without Nani, mm-hmm. and New York was able to really muzzle a lot of the Orlando attack. They gave up a late goal after it was 2-0, and the game was right. just about over. Um, so if um, Andre Gutman is back and healthy, he's been dealing with a, a nagging injury, he, he would slide in at left back, and Kyle Duncan would slide in at right back. Leaving Edwards to slot in next to right. Sean Nealis once again, most likely.
1: I wasn't even thinking about Sean Nealis, but that's another connection between these two clubs. Dylan Nealis, his brother, um, yep. recently traded from Miami. But um, you mentioned two guys previously that I really want to talk about Alex Muell and Dax McCarty, obviously, guys who are very popular among Red Bull fans. I think when Muell was up for MLS Player of the Week, he got more votes from Red Bull fans than he did from Nashville SC fans <laughs> a few weeks ago. Um, I, I believe they both scored in the Red Wedding as well, if I recall they correctly. They did, they did. <laughs> so so um, what is the kind of the, the perception of, of specifically those two guys from the Red Bull fan base? Do they, do they miss them? Is it kind of an understanding, hey, this team needs to get younger, specifically, you know, when Dax left, they needed to get a lot younger. And, of course, Muiol being traded for the international slot and, and some allocation money um, during the course of last year. Do Red Bull fans miss those guys? Is it a situation yeah. where it's kind of an understanding? So first I'll talk about Dax. I mean, Dax
2: is really an eternal Red Bull. I mean, yes, he's played mm-hmm. for a number of clubs. He actually went to Chicago um from directly from, oh, yeah, from New York. Um but he was for for me, he was the quintessential New York Red Bull under Jesse Marsh. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um he had to move in order that Tyler Adams could be promoted. Right. From, how <laughs> from the reserves yeah, it's, okay. and it, yeah. it's worked out very well for tyler adams <laughs> and it's worked out very well for the u.s men's national team um you know i don't have to tell you that dax is a consummate pro he's right. a friend he's a friend of seeing red mm-hmm. um and uh, one of the greatest interviews interviewees we've ever had um hey dax how you doing and then nine minutes <laughs> later you have an opportunity yeah.
1: one one question and you got your whole your whole you got a whole that. story he's
2: <laughs> a terrific guy and um famously when he returned to Red Bull Arena for the first time with Chicago, um, he spent probably the better half of a half an hour walking around uh, Red Bull Arena and signing things for fans. He never got to properly say goodbye because Mm -hmm. he was traded in the offseason, famously days before his wedding, um, which at the time was not really... uh, um, accepted uh, as a mm-hmm. class move by by New York, nor nor now. Yeah. Um, so famously in that match, uh, I guess it was 2018 with Chicago or 2017, 2018 with Chicago. He he stayed out for half an hour. <laughs> assistant coaches were from Chicago were sent to come get him and bring him back to the locker room after the match. And he said, "No, I'm not. You tough. tough. I'm <laughs> I'm going to get my goodbye." Alex is a different story, and Alex is. You know the the first player from Manhattan in in MLS. He mm-hmm. was a, a a homegrown player. Scored in the Red Wedding, as you, as you had noted, mm-hmm. which for your fans that may not know was the seven zero beatdown that the Red Bulls uh, dropped on. Feels good.
1: Sunday. It feels good for you to say it. I think that's the only reason you're saying it. right? <laughs> I appreciate
2: that. Um, in 2016, in May 2016, you know Alex had a love hate. A relationship with the New York fans because Mm -hmm. I think that, listen, Red Bull fans saw the hustle. They saw the fight. That was never an issue for most Red Bull fans with Alex. It was his ability to to finish and be clinical in the box Mm -hmm. and make the right pass. And At a time when New York was so good, you know, that 2018 team that set a then MLS record 71 points in the regular season won the club's third shield. Sadly, every team has a player, I believe, that the fans just get on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, famously after drubbing a number of what I think many people thought were clear cut chances during that season... He scored a goal, whether I think it was during CCL and famously stuck his finger in his ears <laughs> and kind of gestured to the fans like, you know, get off my back, man. I hear everything you're saying. I personally, uh, I've had the opportunity to speak with Alex dozens yeah. of times. He's a terrific young kid. Yeah. He, um, he plays incredibly hard. And I've, I felt that at the time when he was um, sent away, when he was traded, it was a great opportunity uh, mm-hmm. For him to grow as a player, yeah. and I believe he has. I, I can't. I can't commit to watching every uh, Nashville SC game, but I certainly do look for highlights of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly do reach out uh, to him when things are going well for him. I know he's scored a goal. Yeah, didn't um, do yeah, He didn't, do, mean, the, he didn't he, do
1: this when he scored it. <laughs> no, he didn't.
2: Um, you know, he's a player that I'll tell you in his early days with the team, and he was he was with New York for seven years yeah um, he had sights on you know with the French passport that he has yeah you know making his mark and going across the pond mm-hmm. and it just didn't it just didn't pan out for him um, and I think if he was a more clinical finisher it would have been easier for him to move on but Mm -hmm. uh, to jump to Europe I don't think that's where his ceiling is I think he's an MLS player and I wish him nothing but the best in Nashville and I think Red Bulls fans do as well
1: yeah well let's talk about a guy who's who's still in in Harrison New Jersey um well except for right now Christian Caceres is a guy who is who is currently with Venezuela I believe he is uh, in their starting lineup as we record on Sunday evening. So, yep. what is what does Red Bull do without him? Since he is at Copa America with his national team, what he has been such an important part of this team. He was a really important part of Red Bulls too when when Nashville was in USL. So it's a very nice transition for NSC fans who remember back that far. Yeah. What is what is the solution to not having Christian Caceres? Yeah. Well,
2: thankfully there's a player that has played in Caceres' spot. Um, And, you know, one of the the reasons why New York, I believe, has gone so young is uh, the ability to go deep uh, Mm -hmm. with their lineup. And Drew Yearwood, who's an English young DP, um, Englishman who joined the club last season, who has not gotten too many 90 minute appearances is going to slot in okay. um, either at the six or at one of the shuttler eight diamond uh, wing positions mm-hmm. for new york that new york plays and um yeah he's a different kind of player than casters listen casters has made a major step forward this year i yeah. mean he really uh has has jumped up he's had three goals on the season uh, he only behind caden clark um, you know, the young attacker for New York. He scored a peach of a, of a set piece goal against Orlando um, last time out. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really happy to see Christian starting for Venezuela uh, tonight. I think a big part of the reason is the team has been struck with tons yeah. of COVID cases. I, I just saw a tweet saying they don't have a full bench yeah. against Brazil mm-hmm. in Brazil. You know the opening match of the Copa America. I'm not expecting big things, obviously right. today. And if Venezuela was is is to advance out of uh, out of the group stage, and let's be fair, at Copa America, you're going from ten teams to eight teams. Yeah, for, for the next, and, the and next, they still um, might
1: not have been favored even before this. To be not honest. tonight for sure, but yeah. a
2: win against Peru yeah. pretty yeah, much right. gets yeah. you in. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, he he is an important. Uh, player for the team, but New York definitely has options. Um, A lot, a lot of Casteris is can be a hot and cold player for New York. I'll be honest with you. There've been some Mm -hmm. games this season where I'm like, yeah, it's just not, I just, it's not happening for him today. He has been fortunate to get on the end and score a couple of goals. He's only 21 years old. And with a good, strong tournament, he may be a player that New York would be looking to move in the summer transfer window. uh, If the price is right for them.
1: I'm going to sneak in one more that that was not on our plan here, but sure. because you mentioned Caden Clark, um, you know, the kid that that weirdly the Red Bulls had to pay a pay a fee to Minnesota to acquire the homegrown rights and, and just like a weird situation, obviously has been a star since he emerged midway through last year.
0: Yeah. What,
1: what makes this kid so special and, and what is kind of um, his his ceiling, uh, not only for the Red Bulls, but probably beyond in the not so distant future.
2: Yeah, you know, um, Clark is one of those goal poachers Mm -hmm. that finds a way to put it in from difficult uh, positions. For me, he reminds me of Bradley Wright Phillips in the sense that he just gets his body in the right position he can pull it out of the air from seemingly any height and i encourage your listeners to find his goals uh, his four goals for the year um they're from on the ground to seemingly above his head and he just has an uncanny natural ability to just get his boot on the ball and finish the the thing that Kane needs to work on is because of the um the 442 the 4 diamond 2 that mm-hmm. that he's playing there are a lot of questions about whether he should be one of the forwards or the 10 di- at the top yeah. of the diamond I, I, you know he's not uh, a creator he he's right. yet to have an assist this year he just gets on the ball and whether it means he's you know out on the left either in left on the diamond which requires him to get up and down the field and defend or the left forward that kind of slashes in, he doesn't seem to be a natural fit at the 10 because I just don't think that's his game. He is a nine. Um, and But he's, he's 18 years old and yeah. he's still not physically developed all the way. Um, he doesn't do the holdup play like a Fabio does. He's not 6'4", like Fabio. So <laughs> he has to grow. And and the thing that's been great, when Struber has been asked repeatedly about Clark and his ceiling and his ability, he's like, look, he's 18. He's got a long way to go. He's got a lot to learn. And yes, he seems to be a gifted goal scorer. That goes without saying. But he's not a complete player.
1: Right.
2: Now, Red Bull fans you know, are going to get used to you know Better take a picture because we have 27... <laughs> matches left in the season and then he's off to to leipzig next year um Mm -hmm. he's gone so uh new york had better you know like i said whatever fruits of clark's labor Mm -hmm. they're going to have to uh, enjoy as he kind of comes together
1: yeah, one of my friends asked me recently. He's like, "Hey, have you seen this this Caden Clark kid?" There's a friend who doesn't watch MLS but knows soccer very well. Was an NCAA soccer player. I'm like, "Yeah, he's he he doesn't have the physical attributes necessarily, but this dude just gets goals. That's that's all he, that's all you yeah. need from him, and that's all that's all that he really does. So it's perfect. But yeah, um, we'll close it out with with kind of the big picture question here. Um, Red Bull has, has handled teams that near the bottom of the table, Chicago, um, Toronto so far has obviously struggled, yep. but, ha- but has struggled a little bit more against the teams at the top of the East. So what is the, the overall vibe for what this team can accomplish this year? Are they going to be maybe a mid table team? Do they have another gear when they kind of all click, uh, obviously very, very new under Struber's management, or is, or is it something where maybe they're even overachieving right now? What is kind of the feeling for where they fit in this pecking order?
2: Well, I'm just going to say that uh, I I was definitely thinking that uh, before New York took down Orlando last time out, right? New York has lost to the first and second team in the East and the second and third team in the West. Those are their four losses. And so they've literally lost to to four of the best five teams in the league. Yeah. And I think the win against Orlando, even though it was a 2-1 win, was a complete performance by New York. And again, Orlando is missing Nani, but New York bossed that match and delivered them their first loss of the season. And so I think, obviously, without Aaron Long, it hurts significantly. Mm -hmm. Red Bull fans have kind of said, look, we got to give Struber 10 games to really kind of figure out what he has. If Fabio can start hitting the net, and he leads the team in assists right now with four, if Klimala can score, obviously concerns in the back without Long, but Long... In theory, was going to be gone for huge swaths of the year anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, this team—I think for Red Bull fans, they believe that they can make the playoffs for the 12th straight year. I don't necessarily—I mean, they're not in New England and they're not in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but they're five points behind Philadelphia. Yeah, and they're eight yeah.
1: points behind. It's a tight me. table right now. It's a tight table.
2: It's a tight table, and they're two points behind Nashville, and they're two points under the line, below the line. Yeah. So. Um, if New York is able to maintain their home dominance, they do have a loss on opening day to to Kansas City, but yeah. they've won their other home their three other home games, and they can steal a point or two on the road. I mean, you know is is shooting for fourth within reason with the understanding that the team is nowhere near the salary cap and they still have the ability to bring in other players. They just traded away Brian White to Vancouver and got a huge mm-hmm. chunk of gam in return. So New York fans, I think, are, are optimistic. And they, for the most part, although there are still some Looney Tunes that believe it's 2018, <laughs> believe that New York is a team that is figuring out how to win games. They've won some games. And with a little bit of luck and some better finishing, they can you know, they can contend mm-hmm. for home field in the first leg of the first round of the playoffs.
1: Well, awesome. This has been a very enlightening conversation. Um, Mark Fishkin, again, an OG 96, er we got to bring it up both times. Um, and since 2010, the host of the seeing red podcast, thank you for joining us on the club and country podcast to teach us a little bit about the New York red bulls. Hey, love what you're doing down there.
2: Keep it up. And uh, let's, let's hear Here's to having a rivalry with these two teams. Is are uh You know, the player connection is there, uh, and we're looking forward to seeing you guys at Red Bull Arena.
0: Tim, a revealing conversation. Um, I'll be on play-by-play this weekend for the match, and I can tell you I'm going to listen back to that like three or four times just to make sure I got every nugget from that as Mark was was full of outstanding insight about it. A Red Bulls team that is caught in two worlds, expected to achieve... And yet the budget, the relationship with their parent clubs means they're never going to be a, a wealthy club, despite being in such a large media market.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was especially interesting. You know, we talked about individual players. We talked a lot about Christian Casares. We talked a lot about um, Caden Clark. But some of these storylines, specifically with the Red Bulls, are more about the Red Bull system, about... Um, even kind of the pipeline to Europe from Red Bull. And it's up to the coaching staff, whether that's Chris Armas who who couldn't get the job done in the eyes of the management, or whether that's Gerhard Struber, it's to turn that system into the into the, the star, basically. And we'll see if if Red Bull's able to do that. They have never been able to. Um, they're, they're one of the storied programs without winning an MLS Cup so far. So that's something that really, when you become a, a club that sees itself as a pipeline to Europe, you don't want to only be seen as a pipeline to Europe either.
0: And tactically, for a team returning from international break and trying to maybe regain some rhythm, I would think this is the worst type of opponent to run into, one that's not going to let you have any breathing room in your own third even to try to, to establish possession. Yeah, they won't let you feel your way into the game. That's for sure. That's, and that's something that
1: obviously we talked about the Cincinnati game. We've talked about Montreal and Atlanta. There have been times where Nashville's needed to feel its way into the game yeah, and, and hasn't right away, and it's, and it's bitten them. Red Bulls are a team that, that if you don't come out ready to play immediately, they know how to make you pay because that's what they want to do. They don't necessarily uh, play a beautiful game themselves. They
0: force the opponent into a lot of mistakes. It'll be Friday night football from New Jersey, Nashville SC, and New York Red Bulls. You can catch the action on ESPN 94.9. I'll have the call alongside Kelly Glendenning. It'll be the first match back from the international break in Major League Soccer, with the weird exception of a Sporting KC Austin match that happened this past weekend. Moving on to our quote unquote debate segment, so-called, although we're still searching for our first robust back and forth debate. It's a question I think that a lot of folks were asking when they saw these transfer rumors coming about and these potential attacking DPs brought into this roster, and yet they looked at a striker bench that was five guys deep. And it's the question of of whether Nashville SC needs to add attacking talent in order to get where it wants to go in 2021. Of course, we're not going to sit here and say that adding in attacking talent's going to have a net detrimental effect. It, it it can only help. Is it necessary though to for Nashville to achieve the 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 playoff berth, to make a playoff run, to do the kinds of things this club wants to do? Yeah, I think you said it right there. It it couldn't hurt. It would certainly help to add to add more
1: attacking talent, but is it needed? I still don't think so, and I alluded to this earlier. You generally, when you buy attacking talent, you are paying for the expected goals. You're not necessarily paying for the conversion. I think the the famous example is that Cristiano Ronaldo is, over the course of his career, like a horrible finisher, yet he's gonna finish as one of the all-time leading scorers globally because he c- creates so many quality chances. That's really what you're looking for. If NSC were to continue creating at the rate that we've seen, um, you know, hopefully the defensive lumps of those first couple games are in the rearview mirror, but if they create you have to think that they will convert at probably a a rate closer to what they're used to. Of course, you know, if the goals are win MLS cup, yes, I think they probably do need somebody who is going to be a game changing striker. They have some good strikers. They don't have a game changer. So I think that's the situation that you would look at and say, if we're ready to buckle up and do this, let's buckle up and do it. But to, to return to the playoffs, to host a playoff game, for example, I don't think it's necessary. It would be nice,
0: but it's not necessary. Right now, if you look statistically, only three players on this roster have outperformed their expected goals. So, you know, the chances they're getting, most players individually should have scored more times uh, than they have. Last year, which was not a banner year for Nashville SC finishing, especially the first two-thirds of the year, still six regular starters did outperform their XG mm-hmm. plus Cadiz and Rio. So the chances are coming in greater supply and these guys are not necessarily finishing just yet at the rate that they did last year. Chance creation has been among the league's best expected goals mirror that. And the defense is once again, a top five group of major league soccer. So it's really hard for me to sit there to look at those things and to think that they're going to keep finishing at the same rate this season that the defense is suddenly going to start becoming really porous. I, I think the word need is a strong word there. Yeah, yeah. But I we're, think, we're really breaking down the semantics of the word need more right. than anything. It depends it's what on what did, the definition emphasizes. of is. Yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. But I do think you know there's something to be said for solidifying your aspirations. And mm-hmm. I think it comes back to the question of, yeah, what are those aspirations in year two? Mm-hmm. Is it just to get to a playoff game? Or is it to feel like you absolutely are entitled to that? And uh, I, I'm encouraged by by I think the the aspirations the club is showing by having these discussions. We can't say anything until these guys are actually brought in, right? It's you can yeah. look at what Inter Miami's done. They talked about Messi again last week, right? Look, look, shiny object over here because. We're getting smacked with our with our <laughs> allocation money. Uh, believe that when I see they'll, it,
1: they'll use all five DP spots on Messi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: and even the dog is shaking his head right here. You might have heard his collar <laughs> jangle in the background because even he knows by now it's just not gonna. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, even if they did get those five DP spots, I think Nashville can make the playoffs and make a run without adding a single attacking piece. I don't think that they need an additional piece. But I also wonder how they feel about the five strikers they've got on their roster if they're so actively shopping for another one.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the more interesting aspect of it is before the season, we were kind of saying, oh, there's a bit of a logjam at striker. And if they add one, um, it, it sure as heck has to be one who's really good because they already feel like there are too many bodies there. Now, obviously, we haven't seen Abu Ladi who's been injured we've only seen a little bit of Dom Baji and he went off injured at the end of his most recent appearance. So some of these guys aren't on the field because they are hurt. Daniel Rios has been healthy the last couple of weeks, but not quite healthy enough to make the match day squad. If these guys had all been healthy from the beginning, it would be interesting to see if we were still having the conversation the way that we're having. And that's yeah. not necessarily because if Rios were on the field, he'd be crushing it right away. But another bullet in the chamber that you haven't had the opportunity to, to, put into the barrel of the gun or whatever to torture this analogy as much as possible. (laughs) But yeah, there are pieces that Nashville hasn't had available. And so it looks like the opportunity is there to, to add to that and and say, Hey, if these guys aren't going to be available, that's going to kind of be part of the characteristics that we have to
0: view as we build our roster. Yeah. So getting into the mailbag then seamless transition, because this is a topic that many of you wanted to, um, to cover if Nashville SC does empty the chamber of one of its rounds, to continue your analogy... and, and well, get... round,
1: yeah, that's what they're called.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Do you see a situation where Nashville might decline the buy option on Cadiz and then buy both Estrada... And Loba. And so first, I think we have to go with the tenuous nature of transfer rumors that these guys are connected. But as Tim has mentioned, there are other clubs at play here. The chances of getting both, the cost of getting both alone will be extraordinarily prohibitive. You know, when you talk about Cadiz being in on on a much lower price point than these two, I think Cadiz, we can expect that he should and that he will be a part of this team. This year, I don't see a problem with pursuing talent to complement him up top, but I would say it is next to impossible, if not extraordinarily unlikely, that Nashville would would spend the money to bring both of these guys in and get rid of Cadiz when you're you're going to be you know way more than doubling your costs in that case.
1: Yeah, I think anytime we bring up this topic, we have to give that regular caveat that you know we expect that the decision has has pretty much always leaned towards he's coming back, and there has to kind of be. Uh, something to to change the null hypothesis of Cadiz is signed on a longer term um, deal whether that's till the end of this season or whether that's Nashville SC outright purchasing his contract from Benfica we'll see if if the level of performance has changed perception of him enough that Nashville would not exercise that purchase option but again it would have to be that 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 changed their opinion from what we originally believe was an intention to buy him so with that I think you would have to say that they have more impact on each other than than either of them has on caddies i think if nashville uh signs michael estrada they do not sign ake loba or vice versa i think john dr is the it's 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 almost insulting to say the budget option but he's the guy he's the guy that you have some sunk costs in and he's the guy who it's not going to take you six to eight million dollars to sign him so that's a situation where Nashville is looking towards 2022 with the opening of a new stadium. These are times that you might want to splash on a fancy new DP. I think midway through the season, uh, immediately prior to that, it might not be the time that you want to um, start racking up a ton of expenditures in terms of finding attacking talent. When you have a guy who's maybe not performing at his top level right now, but I think this club believes when he performs to his capabilities that he's comparable to them.
0: Talking about the impact then to Cadiz, making the assumption that that he would stick around, what would the potential signing then of a striker mean for Yonder? That's the question from from Aaron. I think you know there are two parts to this. It takes some pressure off of him if he's playing up top with a high-priced DP talent, you know, goal creator, but it certainly piles on the pressure when it comes to the competition to stay on the pitch, as we know that in a majority of matches this year and historically, Gary Smith has gone with a one striker system up top, a four-two-three-one as opposed to that four-four-two. Um, if you do really invest and bring somebody in, you still like yonder, you know. Maybe that that four four two does get employed more. Maybe this is Nashville saying, "Hey, this has had some success for us, and we want to try it out by by you know stocking up the striker position even more and, and making it happen." But in a four two three one, Nashville either would have to replace Cadiz with somebody else. Cadiz beats that person out, which if you're paying that many million dollars, chances yeah, are they're, they're gonna not be planning a on it, yeah, <laughs> right. Or you have an attacker that can move to the wing. And, you know, Cadiz is not, is not going to do that regularly, I, I don't think, playing that channel, not t- typically where he's been. Lopez played there in about 14% of his matches, if you believe the breakdown from transfer market. Estrada has rarely played anywhere else on the field but pure striker. So at, at best, you're talking about bringing in a player who's probably not going to start on that wing. He probably supplants Cadiz in a 4-2-3-1. But as they play together is, is certainly a, a terrific complement to what Cadiz can do. And, of course, we've not even mentioned C.J. Sapong, Daniel Rios and others mm-hmm. who should factor into that conversation as well.
1: Yeah. You mentioned where Estrada plays. Uh, I When I was talking with your brother and Davey on Thursday night. Great chat, uh, by the way. You should you, check it out. Yeah. National soccer show. Yeah, absolutely. Estrada is not a guy who's, who has a style of play that's going to fit on the wing in a 4-2-3-1. So he is a guy who's another out-and-out striker. He's not going to play elsewhere in a Gary Smith system. Big, um, can run in behind, but he's very one-footed. The, the sort of things that that you can really, really succeed with as a striker and probably not as a wing. But in terms of what either of them would mean for Jander um, to take it back. I think it means more competition for him to stay on the field because of the reasons that you mentioned, there's more competition and um, fewer, uh, you know, as few as one spot, maybe two, but with more bodies, it's, it's more difficult to get out of the field However, I think it would mean there's less pressure on him when he does get his playing time. His style has never really been pure finisher, but he's kind of felt forced to be that way. And we've seen it at times with some of the interesting angles that he's chosen to take shots from, I believe if Nashville had a pure finisher available, um, even if that were Daniel Rios, a guy that we're very high on and we're very um, sad that we haven't seen him on the field yet this year because of what he could bring for this team. I think if Jonder didn't feel like he had to be the team's pure finisher, it might free him up to feel like he can do the things that he's a little bit better at um, running in behind to set up guys or getting wide into the channels to create space for some of the other players in that attacking front four. So that's an area where, as I mentioned, not having a healthy Rios has probably played a bigger impact on Jonder individually than people realize because it's given him a pressure to do things that aren't necessarily the very strengths of his game. Maybe having a guy like Lobo or Estrada who You say, okay, I can go do what I do, and if we need a a pure finisher, they can come do what they do. Might be a little bit better for him, um, you know, when he does get presumably a slightly less playing time.
0: We mentioned you guys wanted to be all in on this issue. Travis, once again, backing up that assertion, he asks who Aki Loba's ideal strike partner would be. You know, is it Cadiz? Is it somebody else? First off, to note that Nashville first pursued Loba early last season, so long before Yonder Cadiz was on the roster, or maybe even. Um, on the radar. So I'll take that to mean that they believe he's a good fit for the style the club plays and not just to to be up there a, a, a alongside a guy like Yonder and that he can also be a fit for other personnel on the squad. You know, personally, I'd like to see him with Daniel Rios, who you just mentioned. And for that very reason that, you know, he's a solid target forward, but maybe the best finisher on this team. And if you have Loba, who's at 5'10", is a, you know, a more diminutive dynamic Type. He can sit in behind, maybe link the wings and his center forward partner. Defenses would have to respect his speed, and that could leave Rios in some angles where he, I think we can both say, is pretty dependably going to convert or at least find the target and make the keeper make a play. Uh, statistically, just to look at how Lobo plays with other guys. Loba tallies an assist every seven matches. Cadiz won assist every seventeen Nashville matches and across his career once every nine contests. So he's been a little behind, although he had a really nice feed to Randall Leal against Austin. So Loba more comfortable, I think it's safe to say Tim, combining, maybe in a four-four-two type of setting, or with somebody like Leal coming off the wing. Whereas Cadiz you know, typically is gonna be looking for his opportunity. With that in mind, I, I think a Rios is somebody who's who's a pretty good guy to think about. Sapong would certainly be somebody as well. The the answer forever and always is Robin Schrute. Next question. <laughs> Robin Schrute. Man, the hero. First year Nashville SC player. Who is now? I think in Norway, coaching right. Yeah, he's, co- he's
1: coaching a, a, one of the top women's clubs in Norway. So, Robin, was you, Robin. A
0: fantastic guy great, and great a great dude. Yeah, a multi-stop player for uh, for Gary Smith, as so many of his uh, have been. John Mueller brings up our final question: uh, Which upcoming match are you most excited for, or should be the best matchup for Nashville Soccer Club?
1: Listen, in this locker room, we take things one game at a time. We <laughs> never look past any opponent. <laughs> Uh, all those other coach speak items. But on a serious note, simply getting back to action is extremely exciting for me. I, after last year, obviously had an extraordinarily long break, but didn't have uh, international breaks to to break up the season a little bit. I got a little stir crazy. And um, so just being able to see this team play again and, and selfishly this weekend, being in the house for the NYRB game on Friday and knocking a new stadium off the list for me, I, I'm most excited for that. Going forward long-term, obviously they're going to be other games that are super exciting and maybe
0: this game sets the tone for exactly how exciting they'll end up being well moving along to outside in let's go to the international break lots of nashville SE players win some crucial matches for their club starting with alistair johnston in canada
1: yeah he started um both of the world cup qualifier matches that have happened since last we talked um canada needed a win or draw to advance to the Uh, second round of CONCACAF qualifying they earned that and earned a crucial win in the first leg of their two-legged of their two-legged tie in the second round and um, if they get a win or a draw on Tuesday night so the night that most of you guys are listening to this unless you wait a couple days to get through it they're they're going to the oct they're going
0: to play in the round that includes the United States Alistair versus the USA and extremely meaningful soccer matches would be something I would absolutely sign up to watch and, and be a little It'll, conflicted. It would be here. so
1: bittersweet, right? It would be,
0: it would be as, as has, you know, Randall Leal going up against uh, the United States. Although Randall Leal did not start in Costa Rica's friendly against the U S uh, this past week, he did come on and for the first time ever, a unique occurrence. Yeah. Nashville SC has
1: never had two players uh, who are currently on the roster play against each other in an international match. Now, last uh, February, Walker Zimmerman did play against Randall Layal. Um They were not both Nashville SC players, yet Walker had not quite yet been traded. That might have been a game that Dan Lovitz was in even, but that would have been before he was um, acquired by Nashville SC as
0: well. So for the first time, two guys who were on the books at Nashville SC played each other in an international match. Anibal Godoy for Panama has some work to do in Curacao, uh, but... They wouldn't be in that position, potentially, unless he had had an incredible Anibal Godoy-Lazzo against the Dominican <laughs> Republic in the last match of the first round. Is that a term we can coin? Godoy-Lazzo? Yeah,
1: maybe. It was extremely reminiscent of the goal that he had in the first match against Miami last yep. year. Just a banger with that, that extraordinarily talented left foot that he has from outside the box. This one had a little bit more, a little bit more English to it. It was, it was twisting and turning in the air, and nobody was saving it. So it was an incredible goal. Look it up. Look it up, everybody. Hit pause on the podcast app. Go to go to the Twitter app and look up this goal because it was it was truly that incredible.
0: Nashville SC retweeted it. I think I did too. Check it out. Yeah, Stadio Rod Carew lit up there in Panama for that goal. But then Panama with a 2-1 road win against Curacao. Good result, but could have been better. They were up 2-0. Curacao scored late. And so Tuesday, drama potentially done in Panama as Curacao will visit. You'd think that Panama would be the favorite <laughs> there. You definitely think Godoy is going to factor in though and, and start for the Panamanians, as he's been such a fixture for them, more than 100 caps for Panama in his illustrious international career. And Yonder Cadiz, inactive for Venezuela in the Copa America opener against Brazil on Sunday, venezuela not up to snuff in the performance. A shorthanded team lost to Brazil 3-0, but again, Yannick ended up not factoring in.
1: Yeah, and in, in this Copa America first round, which is a, a five-team group stage, Venezuela is certainly going to finish fourth or fifth. It's, the question is whether they do snag that number four spot uh, and, and advance to the knockout rounds, but um, you know, if they're if they're going to be without some of their roster for the rest of this, it's going to be uh, Jander headed back to Nashville real
0: quick. He's the only Nashville player playing in Copa America. We're talking about boys in gold elsewhere. There are three guys on loan in USL, and each of them are experiencing some success. Elliot Panico in goal for Austin. He and Nick Hines are both down there. And Panico has registered three clean sheets in just five matches that ties him for the league lead as he's played pretty well. But Tim, just like in Nashville, he's really not been <laughs> tested a whole lot. Kind of like Joe Willis. Yeah.
1: He, he had an own goal scored against him too. So one of the two goals that, ha, that he has allowed was scored by his own team. So this is a guy who's um, maybe what he learned while understudying for Joe Willis last year is, is really rubbed off on him. And hopefully as he has a successful loan stint in uh, Austin, he's going to be able to translate that to Nashville going forward as well. And, uh, I think, interestingly, playing directly in front of him uh, on on the left side of, of that Austin back line is, is fellow loanee Nick Hines. He's a guy who we're really high on as a left back. It was kind of a surprise when he did get loaned to Austin because Nashville traded to acquire him. We talked last week. You can look some of this stuff up. He's a guy that they needed to acquire because Nashville needs to fill homegrown slots with players who were developed by other clubs just because of the the youth of nashville's overall system they don't have homegrown players developed yet but heinz is a guy who has played uh the majority of, of minutes since he has um joined austin and like panico i think is is probably impressing
0: to a degree that shows that when he returns to nashville he's gonna be ready to play he's played the full 90 in his last two he scored in his debut coming off the bench for 45 minutes in New Mexico, and it's been fun to watch the uh, the second team in Austin, Austin Bold, get the job done here recently with two Nashville players featuring for them. And then the third Nashville SE player on loan in USL, Jack Mayer, has played the full 90 in all four matches at center back since joining San Diego. And we talked about this again last week, too. Some really viable reps for a guy who it just seemed like more and more was not going to find them when you have two fixtures in, in Dave Romney and Walker Zimmerman. So it's a good... Early action for Jack in San Diego.
1: Yeah, and I think something that's also going to help him is under head coach Landon Donovan, which is like an insane phrase to say. Weird phrase. They're pretty tactically flexible. He's had opportunities to play multiple spots across the center back positions. They've even played a little bit in a back three. So he's getting not only the seasoning, the game minutes that Nashville needed of him, but he's getting a little bit of experience in doing different things and it's you know in ways that aren't necessarily going to force Nashville to experience some of the growing pains. He hasn't been responsible for any of the goals that that Loyal has given up, if I recall correctly. I have not uh, broken down the, the film of, of this weekend's games yet, but um, he's been a very solid performer for
0: them. I'd say he's been one of the best and um, obviously when he returns to Nashville he'll be better for it. Uh, heading into the final whistle uh, I know we're both watching the Euros, watching Copa America. Any other content recommendations you'd like to throw out this week?
1: Yeah I recommended Space Space Space, a newsletter by John Muller a couple weeks ago and um I want to shout out his his piece on the Christian Erickson situation. Um John is an incredible writer. It like every time I read it I get angry because I'm like why is this dude so good at what he does? <laughs> Um, his piece was just incredible, but I think a lot of, of soccer fans in the United States kind of focus on Europe uh, as they go through their non-domestic soccer palette. And I think taking a close look at Copa is, is a pretty interesting thing to do for fans at this time of year because the style of the game in South America is so exciting. You get to see probably more up-and-comers than you will for, a, for an England or a Denmark um, when you watch maybe Uruguay or Argentina. And it's an incredible level of soccer. I think, obviously, European soccer has set the standard for a long time, but especially when you look at um, the international um, competitions, South American teams can hold their best with anyone. So, so check out Copa for sure, even though I think most of our listeners are probably planning on it anyway. Yeah,
0: well, especially as Major League Soccer has emerged as a primary conduit by which some mm-hmm. of those South American stars are, are ultimately going to Europe. Uh, it's fun to look at with at the roots of that because these are not distant faraway prospects these are guys mm-hmm. with incredible talent potential who used to go straight to europe and now major league soccer has become a proving ground as budgets have have increased and aspirations have as well i'm gonna of course recommend the college world series my tennessee volunteers going for the first time since 2005 i was the public address announcer as a young sophomore at ut for that team uh, in 05, so 16 years later, it's exciting. Of course, we're in Nashville. I'll, I'll give my best wishes for good health and terrible luck to Vanderbilt as well. Going back to soccer, because this is a soccer show, my recommendation is the FOTMAP, the Mob app, F-O-T-M-O-B. Uh, it's it's a, got a good stats engine that that it it takes and aggregates from from other sources. It goes back several years. Give live scores and notifications. If if you like to have an easy interface, it's going to give you uh, you know even prediction contests, but also the basic stats and scores you need. If you're looking to say, hey, what what soccer matches are happening across the world today? There are several that are good. Sofa score, who scored? I have them all on my phone, taking up all kinds of data. Uh, but but Fat Mob is just, is the just latest wait till
1: Cameron's there. a little bit older. You're going to be like. No room on this, on this phone,
0: only pictures of the baby. Pictures of the baby is, well, that's pretty much it right now. It's pictures of the baby and, and soccer things. That's, and, and the podcasts, that's it. <laughs> uh, all the 440 sports podcasts taking up a lot of room as well, of course. Great stuff out there. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's a good app. If you're looking for something that's going to just aggregate everything happening in the soccer world, it's it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty reliable and, uh and pretty user-friendly as well. Thanks for listening to us. We appreciate you tuning in and cannot thank you enough for your continued loyalty, but we have one thing to ask of you, and that is to tell other people. We want to continue to expand this audience, so we'd love for you to rate, review, subscribe, retweet. Follow us on Twitter, at Club Country USA. That's Tim I am at TN's West Bowling, like the sport without the W. We'd love for you to give us a follow and and continue the conversations that we're not just relying on one hour a week to have that chat. Tim, anything else you're excited about this week, looking forward to, want to get across?
1: No, I am just so excited to get back to the soccer as much as I love uh, soccer throughout the world. Nothing really gets me going like soccer close to home, and I am so excited to be able to see uh, the, the team that we talk about, hopefully the most,
0: in action again this weekend. And Tim will be there live and in person to cover it, so make sure you visit clubcountryusa.com Friday night for a recap and throughout the weekend and the rest of the week. And I'll be on the air, ESPN 94.9, alongside Kelly Glendinning. So give us a listen, give Tim a read, and then listen to the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday. And until then, so long.